1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damin between Soko and Ezekiah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? 
Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from this hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his, on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand and approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the army of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it 
and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shaaraim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. When we looked at 1 Samuel last year, we had um, just finished chapter 16, where the Lord rejects Saul and, as king, and David is anointed to uh, replace him by Samuel. Here in this chapter, we see an encounter, another encounter with the Philistines. But this time, Goliath comes forward to represent the whole nation of Philistia. Now, Goliath is a very threatening character, standing three meters tall, awesomely equipped to take on anyone who accepts his challenge. And this is his challenge in verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, he will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Essentially, this is a single combat duel between which two nations to see which one is better. And as a result of that, one side, whoever wins, will become uh, their servants under them, consenting to be under their rule. The next thing that Goliath shouts out is also quite significant. In verse 10, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Now this is no ordinary statement. When he says he is defying Israel, what he's actually saying is he's defying the nations of Israel and their God. It is God whom he's actually challenging. We see later that David is very much aware of this and he comes to the camp 
as he comes to the camp and hears about Goliath in verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And again in verse 45 as he meets Goliath. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This is very much an attack against God, not just Israel itself. So when we read this story, we need to realize that there's something much bigger going on than just a battle between David and Goliath. In those days, if you... Uh, the worship of a god or many gods was tied very closely to the culture of that nation. So if you were a Philistine, you'd be expected to follow a particular set of gods and obey them. In 1 Samuel, we've actually already seen and heard of the god Dagon, but there's others as well, like Baal, Astate, and Asherah. In some ways, it could be quite similar to a lot of American patriots who are very um, zealous for their country and committed to them. These nations, uh, again, are committed to their own God. So it's not just the two individuals fighting here. Um, they're both representing their own nation and their own gods. And at the end of this fight, we'll see which God is the winner. I wonder who that might be. It's also like a CEO to a company. There's usually uh, someone behind the face of the company itself. And when you hear of them, you instantly correlate their name uh, to the company they own. So, for example, if I mention the name Elon Musk, who do you think of? Tesla, or maybe even SpaceX. Or if I mention Mark Zuckerberg, that would be Facebook. Colonel Sanders, KFC. Richard Branson, Virgin Airlines. All of these people have a bigger meaning behind their name. And when we read David and Goliath, we should be thinking of the nation and the gods that they represent. The word Christian, or Christanos in Greek, translates to follower of Christ. So if you're a Christian, you are someone who represents Christ. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably been confronted or challenged at some point for what you believe. And we shouldn't be surprised by this because the Bible tells us that we will suffer if we follow Christ. Maybe you've tried to share the gospel with someone at school or work and you've been rejected or maybe even accused of hate. Maybe because you are a Christian and others know that, they treat you differently and, or they might dismiss you because of that. When these things happened, it can be easy to be ashamed or offended. It may even cause you to question, why do you continue living for God? And as this happens, we need to remember that that confrontation is also part of a bigger reality. We are ambassadors of Christ. And when people challenge us for what we believe, they're actually challenging God's existence and who he is. They are challenging the living God who also defeated the Philistines and delivered the Israelites. If this is true, then we don't need to feel offended or ashamed because we have a God who is all Lord and he is almighty to save. The book of 1 Peter 4.14 says, 
If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of the glory and of God rests on you. If they really knew who this living God is, why would they go up against him? He's so powerful. So if they don't listen to us as we represent Christ faithfully, we can leave it to God on the last day to deal with their defiance. So the Lord is the one at work here in this battle of the gods. And as we continue, I think what the most amazing part is how God uses David to deliver the Israelites. After Goliath sets the challenge, it seems nobody is willing to come forward to accept it. They all hide away in fear, scared of Goliath's intimidating words and overwhelming power and height. And fair enough, I wouldn't want to fight anyone who's got an extra meter above me. It's only when David comes into the camp to deliver food to his brothers that he feels the need to do something about it. Goliath defies the armies of the living God, and it doesn't seem right for David that nobody is doing anything about it. So he decides to volunteer for himself. Let's read that again in verse 32, if you've got your Bibles near you. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Notice how unmatched David is here to be able to have a fair chance against Goliath. David is still quite young and his only experience in combat is with lions and bears. Not to undermine that, because fighting uh, wild animals is actually quite impressive. But initially it seems crazy that David doesn't accept the army and weapons given to him by Saul and he decides to use just a slingshot. Without any physical protection uh, and just a simple ranged weapon, it seems weak against Goliath's kit of gear. David is actually quite smart in this and he chooses to go into the battle with what he's familiar with. He's given the best gear to use, but he knows that he's not going to be useful with them. And he would probably be even more useless if he did use it because he would just go up to the battle line and fall over, um, giving Goliath the instant win. I'm not sure if anyone's a boxer here, but let's say uh, we all have a bit of experience and know the basics to win maybe even at a state level or at a national competition. If that was the case, I'd probably say that you're a fairly good boxer. Even though you have quite a good amount of experience, how would you like to go up against Tyson Fury, who's one of the highest ranked boxers in the world? 
you know your stuff, but it's probably unlikely you'd win a match against him. Although you have a chance, I imagine the odds would be favoured against you. It's the same here. David has chosen the weapon he has experience with, but he's still the underdog, unlikely to win the fight. Some would even say impossible. So if this fight seems so difficult to win, why is David even volunteering in the first place? Well, he recognises that he's not just going in with five smooth stones and a sling, but he's going in with God on his sight fighting with him. And remember, as we consider this, we need to keep in mind that this isn't David's battle, it's God's battle. Maybe a good example of this in our current day is the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute's report, seeking to ban conversion therapy, which at the moment, in its current uh, wording, would include just praying for people who ask for it. In the way that it's worded, it would disobey God's word if it was to become law. It is against how he designed the world and how he desires for us to live and love with each other. Now, for us as God's people, it may just seem just as impossible here that we could ever bring about such change, particularly in the direction our society is heading at the moment. I think it's quite likely in the next decade that many of our freedoms to live as Christians here will be reduced in Australia. It will become hard for us and we'll probably have to weigh up the decision to disobey the government so that we can obey God. And who knows, we may even experience physical persecution of this like we prayed earlier today. And we need to be prepared for that. As we think about these things, we need to ask the question, is this our battle to fight against the conversion therapy report, or is it God's fight? I think from what we see here in 1 Samuel, we are being told that it's God's fight. Now, this doesn't mean we're helpless and we shouldn't do anything about it. In fact, God wants us and desires us to be part of his plan to bring about good in this world and to bring change. Thankfully, here in Australia, where there are built-in systems and forums that allow for people's voices to be heard, and we can use those methods for God's voice to be heard. One example of, that you, many of you probably know about is the e-petition on the parliamentary website, and we can sign that and let Parliament know what we think and what God thinks about it. We can also contact our MPs and let them know of our concerns. They represent us and they have a voice in discussing these kinds of issues and voting on them. Through these methods and prayers, we can ask God to fight and bring justice. And even if things don't play out the way we want, we can stay, still trust God knowing that he is sovereign and has allowed these things to happen for a reason even if we don't understand that reason. It may actually be that the proposed law reforms are passed and are put into law. And if that does happen, we don't need to worry because God is still fully sovereign. It's actually a comfort to know that we have a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful and in control of all things. This could apply to many other aspects of life as well. 
where God wants us to represent him. On a more individual level, we can see this in personal evangelism. You may be witnessing to someone at the moment, and it feels like a massive job to help them understand the gospel. Now, we need to do our job in telling them, but it's the Lord who needs to win, win them over. It's only the Spirit of God which can change their heart of stone into a heart of flesh, one that lives for God. Again, we don't need to get overwhelmed about us trying to save them, because we can't, but instead humbly trust God that he will reveal himself to them in his time and according to his will. We don't apply this passage by thinking that we need to have the courage and strength to solve the big problems ourselves, but instead we need to recognise we are too weak to solve it, and it is only God who can fight. We need to have faith and know that he is the one who is all-powerful and will bring about what is right and just in this world. And as God does that, we need to be faithful, just like any other part of life, and being willing for God to use us to fulfill his plan. David didn't just go into this battle looking like an underdog hero, but he went in having the privilege of being God's sidekick to win this battle against the Philistines. Although we are weak, that actually qualifies us to serve God. And God enjoys using humble, weak vessels like ourselves for his purpose. And if we have faith and trust him, then the God we serve will allow us to share in his victory as well. What a great truth that is. So how does the fight end? Check this out in verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his, hand, into his bag he, and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank deeply into his head and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David is the one who triumphs, which means the God of Israel is the winner. Again, just before this victory, David declares the purpose of this battle and who he is fighting for. In verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You have come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you all of you into our hands. It's not the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. How awesome is that? God uses David with his natural talents and skills to deliver Israel. Surprisingly, however, that's not the end of the story. After Israel chases the Philistines down as they run away in fear and retreat, there's a big scene involving Saul trying to find out who David is. Three times Saul asks, 
Who is this young man? It seems strange as to why this was included and why this question is emphasized so much. It seems that the author behind it included this for a reason. And it becomes more apparent when we hear the answer to that question in the last sentence. In verse 58, whose son are you, young man? Saul asked. David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? Who else in the Bible is known to come from Bethlehem? In the New Testament, Matthew quotes from the prophecy of Micah. This is in Matthew chapter 2, 4 to 6. When he, being Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The Messiah, Jesus, was also from the same ancestry line from Jesus, born of Bethlehem. It may seem like an insignificant detail, but I think what this is showing is that David that Jesus is a type of David. In the same way that David is willingly volunteers on behalf of Israel to defeat the Philistines, Jesus willingly volunteers on behalf of us to defeat sin. This isn't just history, it's prophetic. Like what has happened already a few times in this book, like Hannah's prayer, which spoke beyond herself after Samuel was born, or the ark which was captured but then returned to the Israelites by itself, or the unlikely win with Jonathan and his armor bearer. Just as God provided for these people, the Lord provides and saves his people through Jesus. Each of these accounts points forward to a savior who would deliver people from all nations. Again, God's bigger redemptive plan is at work. As Ephesians 1 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us. This was God's plan from the beginning to graciously redeem those whom he had chosen and predestined and adopted to sonship. If this battle was lost and David was killed, then God's promise to Abraham to save the world through his family would have failed. As David stepped forth onto the battle line to fight Goliath, the promise of a saviour king was on the line, and God delivered. We are directly, to, directly connected to this story, but it's only through Jesus. Because God delivered the Israelites, he also delivered us from our sin through his blood on the cross. Jesus has won the ultimate battle, another battle we could not win ourselves. Ephesians also says 
that we were dead in our sin, deserving of God's wrath. Dead in sin means dead, not alive, unable to do anything about the evil within us. It's impossible for us to win the battle of sin. Only God can do that. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. We can only be made alive with Christ and born again because of God's grace. Are you willing to let Jesus win that battle for you? Have you accepted his free gift of eternal life? Or are you trying to do that yourself? Are you trying to please God by doing lots of good things? Maybe that looks like helping an elderly family member or volunteering for a charity or some other community group. Or maybe you're trying to do it by getting rid of all the sin in your life, like swearing in the workplace, looking at things on the internet that you shouldn't, or unnecessarily getting angry at your children. Yes, we should strive to obey God, but is it you trying to win the battle, or is it Jesus? We need to do our part and let the Spirit and work with the Spirit to become more like Jesus, but it's only him who can save us from our guilt and shame. David willingly volunteered on behalf of Israel to defeat the Philistines, and Jesus is willingly able to volunteer on your behalf to defeat sin. Are you willing for him to do that? Will you trust in the Lord like David did? Let's pray.